This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist. Visit facebook.com slash podcast assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. In many countries, in many scenarios, when one side of the political aisle is disgraced, and Park and Hay, of course, uh, was impeached successfully, which was a first in Korean history, there is often a swing. As we see now, Moon Jae-in is extremely popular. His approval ratings are touching 90%, as uh, I last read. And obviously, that wave seems to have also swept up um, some Korean defectors who have more often been known for being more hawkish on this topic. Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. John Power is a Melbourne-based reporter who, after spending several years working in media in South Korea, continues to cover issues affecting the peninsula. Recently, John wrote for the Nikkei Asian Review about the divide among North Korean defectors as to the best plan for future engagement with Pyongyang, titled North Korean Defectors Divided on Seoul Detente. I'm joined now by John to discuss his research on that issue. And of course, John has been a guest here on Korea FM several times, so it's great to have him back on the program. Uh, John, your article begins with the lead up to the election of now President Moon Jae-in, who, as noted in your piece, had some surprising supporters, something that caused a, quote, great sensation. What are we talking about here when we say great sensation? Yeah, well, actually, when I was researching this story, I actually had the expectation of a different kind of story coming together. My um, initial impression was that I would be interviewing North Korean defectors about Moon Jae-in's relatively dovish approach to inter-Korean relations. And North, the North Korean defector community, while obviously not a monolith, as with any community, uh, does have a reputation for being quite uh, conservative or hawkish or right-leaning on uh, inter-Korean issues. Um, and generally, are perceived as being quite skeptical of um, engagement with North Korea and more in favor of uh, isolation, sanctions, um, you know, breaching the blockade of information with by sending USBs over the border and that sort of thing. Um, and that was kind of where I felt the story was going to end up going. But interestingly enough, when I did a bit more research and started to um, actually get some interviews arranged, I found to my surprise, really, that there actually were uh, very high-profile defectors, some of the sort of leading voices who were in the media a lot, who actually were supporting Moon Jae-in, which was uh, very interesting to me and sort of changed the whole direction of the story. Um, one of the problems with uh, generalizing about the de- uh, North Korean defectors in general is that they're um, they're not an easy group to um, get... Um, meaningful samples on. So, I mean, there isn't a lot of data on how they think in general. Um, but I was interested to find that some of the most high profile defectors who are in the media um, had uh, really evolved in their in their views on, on this issue and had come to uh, support Moon Jae-in or at least support uh, aspects of his uh, agenda. 
And so in your piece for the Nikkei Asian Review, you, you kind of detailed this shift that happened not overnight from, as you put it, you know, maybe hawkish views, ideas among defectors regarding relations with uh, Pyongyang, North Korea. Um, when did this shift start to happen? And what did you see was the cause of this um, sea change that you wrote about? Yeah, well, again, I, I do want to say that... Um, uh, I wanted to be careful and want to could be careful again about generalizing too much. It is quite difficult to get a handle on what the uh, consensus would be among uh, North Korean defectors. Um, there isn't a lot of survey data. I did find one survey, which I uh, quote in the piece, um, which was carried out late last year, as I remember. Um, but it was of a very small group of defectors. It was several hundred, I think, because as you can imagine, it's quite difficult. You know, general polling um, methodology calls for, you know, sample sizes of a thousand people. Obviously, that's not very easy to do when you only have about 30,000 defectors in the entire country. A lot of them are reluctant to to speak out and to offer their um, their opinions on these kind of issues as well. So it's, it's something of a challenge. Um, but what I found when I arranged... Um, interviews with several high-profile defectors, namely uh, Kang Myung-do and, and Chan Il, uh, was that they had um, come to see the previous Park and Hayes government's uh, approach to have been discredited and to have been tried without any really uh, concrete results. Um, so, I mean, interestingly, An Chan Il especially, he actually endorsed Park and Hayes in 2012. Um, and as I wrote, he essentially has come around to the view uh, that the the conservative approach of um, isolating North Korea and sanctioning North Korea hasn't really borne any fruit. And he told me, as he put it in his own words, he was hoping Moon Jae-in might be able to take a, a third way approach to this issue. And... Um, he acknowledged that the sunshine policy of Kim Dae-jung and Nomi Hyun, Moon Jae-in's mentor and, and previous boss, hadn't really worked, but also that the conservative approach of Im Young-bak and Park Geun-hye hadn't worked either. And he you know, articulated uh, his hopes that Moon Jae-in might be able to take sort of a pragmatic middle approach. Uh, Kang Myung-do, um, I would say, was even more emphatic about Moon Jae-in being the best choice. He told me that he was very concerned that the, the tensions um, between North and South and North Korea and the United States, of course, could boil over and that it was imperative to really avoid military conflict at any cost. And he said that uh, North Korean defectors, of course, almost always will have family remaining in the North. And the last thing that they would ever want to see happen is to have to take up arms against their their brothers and sisters essentially um so i think the the i think the the evolving um opinion among some defectors and again i don't want to say that it's necessarily all or even necessarily a majority but i think the evolving opinion relates more generally to um the discrediting of the park and hay administration you know as we know when she was impeached she had approval ratings below five percent which really is just astonishingly low it's a it's set a new record even among koreans who are notoriously um critical of their leaders most korean presidents end up really widely disliked and park and hay um really set a new nadir for that for that 
Um, so I think, as you see in politics, in many countries, in many scenarios, when one side of the political aisle is disgraced, and Park Geun-hye, of course, uh, was impeached successfully, which was a first in Korean history, um, there is often a swing. Um, and uh, as we see now, Moon Jae-in is extremely popular. His approval ratings are touching 90%, as uh, I last read. Um, and obviously, that wave seems to have also swept up um, some Korean defectors who have more often been known for being more hawkish on this topic. And so this wave, as you just mentioned, um, if you will, from now, you know, ex-impeached, jailed, um, very unpopular Park Geun-hye to the exact opposite. Now, you know, current president, super popular Moon Jae-in, you even in Korean media will see um, comparisons with uh, Justin Trudeau or, or, you know, former President Barack Obama. People are very, if you will, infatuated with Moon Jae-in at this point. At least that seems to be um, the case from, from what I'm seeing and, and other people that I've been seeing writing about that. What did Moon Jae-in say that wooed so much support before he became president um, regarding North Korean relations? And, and if you will, has that changed at all since he's entered the Blue House? Um, well, I, I think the feeling among these two high-profile defectors who had a reputation for being quite conservative on inter-Korean relations was that... Um, their idea of the best way to approach this issue had been tried and tested and hadn't really produced results. And so they um, had warmed to the idea of talking to North Korea, basically, to restoring dialogue, to restoring some form of um, engagement. And Moon Jae-in, during the campaign trail, uh, struck a very noticeable contrast with his predecessor in that he... um, first of all, said that he would be interested in visiting Pyongyang, interested in talking to the North Koreans. Um, he would be in favor of resuming the Kaesong, uh Economic Joint Industrial Park, which was shut by Park and Hay, of course. Um, he said He's also said that he would be interested in resuming um, tours to um, the North Korean uh, mountain resort that had been seen tours from South Korea until um, the Im Yong-bak era, until uh, a South Korean was shot and, and killed. Um, so that's, you know, Moon Jae-in has articulated, uh, during his campaign, campaign he articulated a, a general vision of um, greater engagement and dialogue. Um, now, I think it's early days yet. He's only been in power about a month. What we have seen already, though, I think, is some... Uh, realization that the conditions for Moon Jae-in to follow through on any sort of significant engagement for North Korea are a lot more fraught than they were, say, when Kim Kim Dae-jung took power in the 90s. Um, You know, unlike then, uh, we are now up to five nuclear tests um, from the North Koreans, more or less everyone expects that they're going to carry out another one relatively soon. Um, and like against this backdrop as well, we have constant missile tests and, and general. Yeah, it's like every other week or something like that, right? Exactly. So, you know, I think while I think Moon Jae-in definitely has a personal investment in, in this issue and, and does sincerely want to engage with North Korea, I think he's um, somewhat constrained by the shifting political climate. Um, compared to his liberal predecessors. It's a lot more difficult for Moon Jae-in to argue convincingly that the North Koreans need a, need to be understood and need to 
need the benefit of a softer approach than it might have been in the past. Um, you know, we had 10 years of the sunshine policy. People on the left and right interpret the success of that time in different ways. Um, but I think it would be fair to say that probably the expectations of sunshine weren't lived up to. I mean, the most uh, the most um, optimistic expectations weren't lived up to. And now what we have um, is, a, is a North Korean regime that is completely unapologetic about possessing nuclear weapons, much to the um, frustration of the United States and South Korea, of course. And, um, and Moon, I think, has a lot less wiggle room to, to make these grand gestures um, without really upsetting Washington. I mean, uh, the, the approach now from the, the United States distilled really has been to, you know, sanction and censure and, and um, isolate North Korea. And I think if Moon was to make big gestures to the contrary of that, there is inevitably going to be the charge from some people that he's undermining uh, the American policy and obviously South Korea and the United States are close allies. So it's a lot more difficult. Uh, that said, um, you know, I think Moon hasn't exactly signaled any big reversal on this. He hasn't signaled um, any intention to be hawkish, I, I don't think, on, on this policy. And he is still, um, as, as far as I understand, he still kept the possibility of these pledges uh, on the back burner. Um, but I think we'll just have to wait and see. It is very early days. Uh, just last week, uh, he came out and said that he would be open to dialogue if uh, the North Koreans sort of um, refrain from provocative behavior. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's early days and we'll have to see what happens. I think Moon is pragmatic enough probably to know that he can't make a grand gesture, you know, the day after they, they detonate a nuclear bomb or fire off a ballistic missile. Been speaking to John Power, a Melbourne-based reporter who spent several years living and reporting on the Korean Peninsula, and uh, recently did just that for the Nikkei Asian Review. Um, final thoughts, John, before we say goodbye, um, perhaps on where you see this going in the future. Um, well, I think it's abundantly clear that North Korea is determined to possess nuclear weapons and is determined to have a delivery vehicle for those nuclear weapons to uh, hold over the United States. Um, and I think the, um, uh, the section of the North Korean analyst community for want of a better description that realistically believes that North Korea will be deterred from those goals is increasingly small. Um, I think, I think it's, it's coming to a head where there is a consensus solidifying that North Korea will never voluntarily um, give up this uh, militaristic path or this um, this path of pursuing this deterrent. Um, and I think that makes, as I said, I think that makes it quite difficult for the liberal administration in Seoul to um, really improve ties with North Korea. That said, I think, you know, Moon Jae-in has five years. It's quite a long time. I think he will inevitably try and find some breakthrough. He, he'll probably have to be pragmatic in his timing and, and um, you know, time that in such a way that it doesn't look like he's capitulating to the regime after, you know, a, a missile test or a nuclear test. But I think he will follow through to some extent on this uh, thawing of relations, whether that's through Kaysan, through a summit with Kim Jong-un. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I do think 
he is determined to to do that in in some uh, sense. And I think he he's actually spoken in interviews about having quite a per- personal connection, uh, you know, to the North Koreans. He's the son of of North Korean refugees, and he once quite um, movingly, I suppose, uh, described how his his elderly mother's sort of last wish before she passes is to uh, to meet her sister again in, in North Korea. So I, I would be very surprised if Moon Jae-in doesn't do what is uh, politically possible um, with consideration given to the, the, you know, the difficult geopolitical and, and um, the American uh, situation that complicates this somewhat. Nikkei Asian Review contributor John Power, thanks for your time. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist, offering voiceovers, audio editing and mastering, transcriptions and show notes, episode summaries, and even hosting a podcast on a topic important to you. Visit Facebook.com slash Podcast Assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net.